today is a very special day. We have Mike Singletary in the house today, a former NFL player, Pro Bowl player, Hall of Fame player, head, former head coach of the 49ers. Would you put your hands together and welcome Mike Singletary. Married 30 years, seven kids, a man of faith and a man of family, Mike Singletary. Well, it's, it's really great to, to have Mike here and just being able to talk to him some and to hear his heart and his love for the Lord and for, for the, his family is just, uh, it's contagious. And I realize that we are in Big 12 country. We got some Sooner fans out there and we got some happy Cowboy fans out there today after last night and we know and but we'd all be happy if we were Baylor fans you know what I'm saying so so Mike is so I'm curious and I know you are because all of you Big 12 fans and uh, Mike played at, at Baylor University and Mike why did you not come to the Sooners or to the Cowboys and why did the great Mike Singletary choose Baylor University okay <laughs> Um, uh, first and foremost, um, it's an interesting story. There, there was a gentleman that came from uh, Prairie View University, and um, after his first year in the league, he didn't make it, and so he ended up coming to my high school to coach. And we were in spring ball, and I was practicing that first day, and he saw me after practice, and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you have something that's really special. And when you get a chance next year to go to college, go to Oklahoma. That's where you want to go. Well, in the meantime, I was praying and, and asking the Lord just to get me a scholarship. And, and so basically I said, whoever comes to me, that's, that's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to pay my debt. So Oklahoma never knocked on my door. They never called me, never sent me a letter. So how can you go when you're not called? <laughs> yeah, you believe it. The suitors nor the cowboys, they didn't even send Mike a letter. So that's how he ended up at Baylor University. Yes. Uh, you were a 12-year player in the NFL and we, we know you from your Chicago Bear, Bear days. What would you tell us as, as fans of football and knowing you're a follower of Christ, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned in your 12-year NFL career? I think one of the things that uh, I hear all the time is, you know, people will say, well, well Mike, you were a, a Christian in the NFL. You know, why you were playing? And, isn't that really tough? Isn't it really difficult? And the answer is no. It really isn't. Um, you know, now granted, in that locker room, there's a lot of different things that, that are going on at one time. And a lot of things you don't want me to talk about. Or I can't talk about. But um, at the end of the day, it, it is the believer that's in that 
locker room that's living it. And it's not the one that is on Sundays or Bible studies or whatever that's doing the, the right things and through the week is doing something else. Those are the ones that are having the difficulties. And I think it's very consistent throughout life. That's good. That's good. You, you have to share this story with us again because it's humorous. So you went to the Pro Bowl how many years, Mike? I went to the Pro Bowl 10 years. 10 years out of his 12-year career, he went to the Pro Bowl. Pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty amazing. And won the Super Bowl as well. But your first year to the Pro Bowl, um, I heard about this story. And it, uh, it's, it's a story worth telling, Mike. Would you tell us about your first Pro Bowl experience? It's a story worth telling from whose point of view? <laughs> Well, um, my first year at the Pro Bowl, I, I, I did not realize that there was an initiation. And, and so I was so excited to be elected to the Pro Bowl that, that uh, you know, I got out there and we were in Hawaii and, and uh, all of the guys around the league, the best players in the league. And, and so I, I went out of the locker room early and I'm on the field and it's hot. And uh, it's about 100 degrees outside, and, and I'm jogging up and down and doing all my exercise. And, man, I'm going to show these guys who I am. They don't know me. And while I'm doing this, after about 15, 20 minutes, I, I realize that there is some, some uh, heat coming from my body. Uh, it's really hot, and uh, it's not just that it's hot. It's where it's hot. It... it um, my jock strap was, was unusually hot. And, um, you know, I, I learned that later on, somebody put some uh, balm, heat balm, in, in, my, in my jock. And, and I'm outside, and it was uh, very painful. And I, I think it was Walter. I think it was Peyton that, that did it. As I was kind of struggling to get back in the locker room, they were coming out, and I looked at him on my way in, and I said, Walter, did you do this? He said, no, do, do what? No, I don't know anything about it. And he kind of smiled as he said that. I, he never said he did it because he knew how angry I was at the time, but he, he never committed to it, but I, I know he did it. <laughs> I know he did. Sweetness turned up the heat one day. <laughs> yeah, it was so, so, Did you ever return the favor and turn the heat up for any other pro bowlers? No, that kind of pain, you don't want to give to anybody else. <laughs> I love it. Can you tell us, so 12 years in the NFL, um, we know that you've, you've been an NFL coach. Why 10 years before you got into coaching after a great 12-year career, doors are open, but yet you waited 10 years to get back in, to get, to get into coaching. Why is that? Well, uh, first of all, um, my last year, uh, or the year before my last year, I, I had prepared to coach throughout my college and professional careers. I, I've been very fortunate to have some great teachers and great coaches. And so I, I wanted to give that back. Um, 
But I started asking a question uh, in my uh, 11th year to about five or six coaches around the league, the head coaches that were very successful. And each one of those coaches that I asked, how did you become a great coach and, and yet be a great father and a great husband at the same time? And every one of those coaches said, Mike, you got to be honest with you. If you're going to coach, you got to marry a great woman um, because you are not going to see her or your kids. She's going to have to raise your kids. And so um, I recognized, uh, I realized at that time that I knew my wife and I had talked about having a big family. And by me coming from a broken home, the last thing I wanted my kids to do is to grow up and my wife raise the kids without me. I didn't want to do that. And so you held off for 10 years to be home? Yes. With the family so your kids would know you and you could be a husband? Well, I, I think uh, the last thing that I, I wanted and... and my last year in the league, I remember looking at my wife and looking into her eyes. And all of you that are married will know what I'm talking about. When I looked into her eyes, there, there was not the return of, I love you. There was resentment building, uh, building and um, anger that she didn't really know how to express, but I knew I was looking at it. And, um, you know, when, when the woman has to do everything, and I had no idea what she was doing. I had no idea how difficult it was to raise the kids and take care of your husband and do all of the things that she had to do. Um, just tell you a quick story, I, I remember when I was playing, I, I would come home and the house would look like a, a bomb had gone off. I mean, stuff was everywhere. The kids were running in and out. And my wife was burning the, the dinner most of the time. <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting down and I didn't say anything, but I was thinking to myself, what does she do all day? All she has to do is take care of the kids. And, and cook dinner. I mean, what's hard about that? So I remember thinking that all the time. And so one time I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I went home and I said, you know, I, I want you take off. Just, just take a couple of days off and let me handle the kids. Now, my idea of handling the kids was this. I'm sitting there with the, the channel changer and all my kids are on the couch. Sit down. <laughs> don't, don't ask for anything. Don't go anywhere. And I'm looking at television. That was my idea. So when I told my wife this, I never had them a whole day. So when I told my wife this, you know, Kim said, are you sure about this? I said, oh, yeah. I mean, I can go out there and play football and, you know, broken bones and all this other kind of stuff, and I can't handle these kids. Oh, yeah, go. But in my mind, I was thinking, let me show her how to handle the kids. When she left, all my kids just, whoom, they, they were just gone. 
a couple upstairs, a couple of downstairs. We have seven kids. Uh, a couple upstairs, a couple downstairs, they were flushing the toilet, they were writing on the wall, they were fighting, they were arguing. I'm like, hey, put, put that down. What? Don't, stop that fighting over there. I, I mean, after about, seemed like maybe just an hour or so, I was in my basement hiding. <laughs> and they were trying to find me. Daddy, daddy. I didn't say a word. I was breathing hard. I was sweating. I was thinking, whoo. When she came home, I met her at the door. Where have you been? What were you thinking? I had no idea that that's what she had to do. So the thought of me coaching and leaving her so that I can go out and do this thing that I want to do, uh, I just thought, we're in this together. And, and if we're in this together, then we got to do it together in order to get the outcome that we want, that God wants. That's so awesome. Let me ask you, because uh, I know you grew up in a preacher's home, a pastor's home, and my, my wife is a PK and Grew up in a fantastic preacher's home. Her dad was a great example and still a pastor today. And so I kind of get to see the inside view of a pastor's home. And also, as, because I'm a pastor, I hang out with other pastors, and I get to see the other side of it as well when uh, guys are saying one thing and living another. Talk to us about your home life, your dad as a preacher, um, how it impacted you. And I think it's a, as, as you share your story, how faith became real to you because of what you saw. How did faith finally become real to Mike Singletary? Well, uh, growing up in my home, and I'm the last of 10 kids, and um, by my dad being a pastor, uh, it, it was quite a paradox to be able to watch my dad through the week in our home. It, it was very volatile. My, my dad was... As I look back at him now, I know he was trying to do the right thing. But when you're not standing on faith, you can read it, but you got to stand on it and you got to live it. When you're not standing consistently on faith, you got no chance. And so when I look at my dad, I, I just realized that, that he, just, he just lost it, that relationship. And so my dad would come home and just the house would be, everybody would be scared from the time he got home to the time he went to bed. Uh, sometimes he'd come home and jump on my mom. Sometimes I, one time my dad came home and got an ax and chopped down the entire kitchen. He and my mom had an argument about something. He came in and just chopped down the entire kitchen. Kids jumping out of the back bedroom window. It was a very frightening day. And yet, we're sitting in the congregation, and I'm watching my dad preach on Sunday. So it created a very difficult thing in my family for us to, as kids, see that this is God. So you can see the dysfunction there. And, and so uh, for me, as I began on my journey, and I got married, and, and my wife and I are trying to 
figure uh, this thing out, I begin to want God to use me more. And so I believe that I came to the same juncture, the same choice that my dad had. And I made a different choice. And so as I asked God, Lord, I want you to use me. I, I, want, I want you to do more in my life. And the Lord basically says, do you really? Yes, sir, I do. Okay, then this is what I want you to do. If you really want me to use you, if you really want to be an ambassador of Christ, then I want you to go to your father and forgive him. Hmm, okay. And I thought to myself, Lord, in all of your glory, in, in all of the wonderful things that you have and all the things that you can do, isn't there something else? <laughs> Certainly there's got to be something else, Lord, that, that I need to do. And basically I realized that, that I needed to obey. So I made up in my mind that I was going to call my dad and let the phone ring one time. If he didn't answer, I did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> he picked up the phone on the first ring. And my dad and I began to talk, and we, we screamed at each other, we cried, we yelled, we did all kinds of stuff. But when I hung up that phone, I knew that something had changed in me. Um, and so we began a journey of, of healing, and I began to understand some of the things. So now, that was the first thing. The second thing was, I came back, I was feeling pretty good. It's okay, Lord. What else? It's okay, Mike. Now, when you were dating your wife and when you were engaged, you were unfaithful. I want you to go and tell her about that. So, Lord, wait a minute. Now, what about David? David said, my sin is against you and you alone. So I, I repent to you. That's it. God said, I'm talking to you. You know, all of our kids are different. I don't know why God had me do it, but all of our kids are different. Some, some of your kids, you can just say, put that down. Okay, Dad. The other kid, put that down. Put what down? <laughs> what you have. When? <laughs> and so I'm sure the Lord knew that was me. So I, I, I made a decision, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do this. Uh, so I took my wife to an island. <laughs> you could only get there by boat. And um, there were no televisions, no phone, nothing. So I said, we're going to go to Keneal Bay, sweetheart. We're going to have a great time away from everything. And um, so we're on this, this island, and after about two days, one night I turned to her, and I said, sweetheart, I got something to talk to you about. And, and it was a long, long vacation. Um, but there were no more secrets. There, were nothing, there was nothing in the closet that anybody could tell her that I had not disclosed her. I, it, there was nothing. So 
For me, I, I was out there. All of my laundry was out of the bag. All the dirty stuff. And she could see me for what I was. And so at that time, the Lord began to restore me. He began to restore our marriage. And that was the year, the year before we went to the Super Bowl, the year during the Super Bowl. Um, we're, we're about to have our first child, and I was scared to death because my mom used to always say, boy, you are just like your daddy. No, don't say that. <laughs> I hated when she said that, but she was right. I was more like my dad than anybody in our family, and it scared me. But after I came into a real knowledge of who Christ is and that exchange of what Christ did for me in taking all of my stuff and giving me the exchange of the blood on the cross, now I could be different. I could have different DNA. And... I could be whole. That's when it changed. That's awesome, Mike. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. We're talking about family. Go ahead. Such awesome. Faith became real. We can be real with God. We can be real with God. And talking about faith and family, and it's Christmas time, and it's Christmas season. Everybody's got Christmas on their mind and decorations. And I'm just curious, is there something... Uh, a tradition in the Singletary family around Christmas time that, that you all do uh, as, as the Singletary family during Christmas season? Well, it's something that uh, my wife started um, when the kids were really young. And now our oldest is 27, and our youngest is 16. And the thing that our kids still want us to do, we did it last year, uh, they want us to hide their gifts. Even your 27-year-old? Even our 27-year-old. Right. That's the main one. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm asking my wife, how old are these kids? <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're coming home and they go to bed and, and my wife and I are up at, at 2 in the morning hiding gifts. Um, so that is so much fun. We, we get up in the morning and, and we give them hints and every gift that they find, there's a hint for the next one. So it, it's a blast, and they just absolutely get the biggest kick out of it. it. It's really great. That's awesome. That's a good Christmas idea for you right there. I love that. Mike, can you talk to us about, I think one of the most powerful things, powerful things that I've seen in your life was your Hall of Fame speech. And you talk about a, a time in your life that was very difficult at 12 years old. Uh, you were facing some difficult challenges, and I'll let you share and then you talk about a conversation your mom had with you that was a game changer for you. Would you just share that story with us about that you share with in the Hall of Fame? Okay. Well, at, um, at 12 years old, it was a, a defining moment. And I, I think in all of our lives, there are several times when we, we have a defining moment in our lives. Some people call them when you hit the wall. Um, but I guess I had hit a wall. And my, when my brother Grady passed away, uh, I was very close to Grady. He was next to me in the family line. And um, I remember him pulling out of the driveway and, and giving me a $5 bill and said, hey, whatever you do, make sure you take care of mom. 
The next time I see him, he's in the hospital on a respirator. And uh, a couple of days later, he passed away. So, and then later on that summer, my mom and dad finally just said, my dad just said, I'm done. And uh, I'm moving on. Um, so, as a kid, uh, for me, my world was shaken. And I'm thinking the best thing I could do at that time to cope with it was to sign what I call just a, uh, this, a silent contract. And, and I think in our country we see it a lot because there are so many people that go through things and they don't really know what to do with it. And for me, I just said, okay, I'm not going to strive to be the best at anything. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at my brother Grady. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to help my mom, and he's gone. Then I'm looking at my mom and dad, many years of marriage, and my mom is one of the sweetest people you ever want to meet. And I could hear her at night. I still hear her at times crying and praying at the same time, wondering how in the world are we going to take this family forward, and now she's got to do it all alone. So um, I just said, I'm not going to try to be the best at anything. I'm just going to stay in the middle. I'm not going to be last. I'm not going to be first. I'm just going to be in the middle. Because I believe that people like you better when you're just in the middle. If you're just average, people like you better, seem like to me. Because you're not a threat. But when you get out there and you make a decision that you're going to be the best, you're going to strive to be number one, all hell breaks loose. Everybody starts talking about you. Everybody wants to come after you. And of course, if you're last, then they don't even think about you. But if you're in the middle, man, they want you to, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Oh, I like this person. They don't threaten me at all. I enjoy being around them. That day, my mom saw that I had hit the wall. And I had basically made a decision that I'm just going to be mediocre. And she sat me down and she looked at me and she said, son, I understand what you're feeling. You know, your brother Grady, we will never see him again on this side of glory. And what happened between your dad and I, after you've gone through so many years and trying to make it work and it doesn't, is nothing but pain. But she said, I'm looking at you, son, and I see that there is greatness in you. God has a call on your life. And you got to make a decision. You got to get up. You got to get back in the ring. And you got to start swinging. And she said, the most powerful thing that I need you to become the man of the house. 
I need you to step up. Now, you got to understand in my family, I am the smallest, I am the last, but I am the smallest, and that includes my sisters in my family. So I'm thinking, Mom, wait a minute. I got some sisters that could be the man at the house. But when I looked in her eyes, I realized that she believed in me. And from that moment, I got up and I went in my room and I wrote out my vision statement. And at 12 years old, my vision statement sounded like this. Find a way to get a scholarship to go to college. Become an All-American. Get my degree in which I would become the first to do that. Get drafted and go to the NFL, buy my mom a house, and take care of her for the rest of her life. Become an all-pro, own my own business, and be one of the best football players of all times. You would think after I did that that people would say, wow, that's fantastic. But it didn't happen that way. There were family members, there were people that were friends of the family, um, that would come in and look at that and say, are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? Do you have any idea what this means? We don't know of anybody that can do this. And you think you can do this. Sometimes I would take it off the wall and just put it in the closet. And there were some days that I would come home that I was so disappointed that all I could do was to look at that vision statement, take it and throw it down, only to pick it up again and put it right back up there and allow myself to look at that every day and know that that is my vision. That is the direction that I'm going to go and I am not going to stop. I will not stop until I get there. I used to pray at night. At that time, I would pray and I would ask the Lord to bless me to be 6'2 and about 225 or 30 pounds. And I was about 5'10, 5'10 and a half, about 205 pounds. But all the linebackers that I had ever seen that, that got scholarships were that big. When I met my wife, she asked me, how tall are you? How big are you? I said, I'm 6'3". <laughs> she thought I was lying. In all honesty, to this day, I, I tell her and I tell my kids, I believe so strongly in the word of God that when I did get a scholarship offer, that I was 6'3", 225 pounds. I believed that. I didn't need a tape measure, didn't have a scale, but that's what I believed. So that was, that was the beginning of my journey. That's so awesome, Mike. Could you take a minute right now? and just speak to somebody's heart. They may not be 12, they may be 52, 
22, 72, 42. Life's tough. What would you just say to them about faith, about this journey? You could just speak a word to them over just a minute or so and just say something to somebody who's going through a season. You know, as, as I live this life, there are basically two, two things happening all the time. I, I either realize that either you've just come through something or you're about to go through something. But whatever it is, it, it, it all comes down to what we're looking at as we're going through it. It all comes down to where my faith is at the time of trouble. You have to make a decision. And I want to tell you something. I have to make a decision every day. Every day of my life, I have to make a decision. I have to make a decision to stand on the word of God. I don't care who's saying what. I don't care who's doing what. All I know is what my father says. No matter what happened, no matter who it is, I believe in my heart that I am the Lion of Judah. And I believe that the same power, the same strength, that when Jesus Christ rose on that Sunday, and everything that he went through, I believe that when he said it was finished, it was for me. It was for me. And if I believe that he speaks truth and cannot lie, and if I believe that his words will not come back void, then I must believe that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I must believe I must believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I must believe that the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but strong and for the pulling down of strongholds. I got to live this life by faith. I cannot live this life just by Sundays, what I do on Sunday, or if I come on Saturday. No, I got to live it every day. It's got to be real to me. I got to know that I'm willing to die for it if it comes to that. But I cannot go back and forth. I cannot believe one day and then tomorrow, well, I'm thinking about it. That man shall know that he will not receive anything from God. No double-minded person will receive anything from God. It is, I must stand. Who is man that I should fear him? What can man do to me when I got God on my side? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I think we just heard the preacher, Mike Singletary. Would you put your hands together for a man of God?
a man of faith, a man of family, play together for Mike Singletary. Thank you, Mike. Wow. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to just share with you for two minutes or so. During this Christmas season, Mike said he believed Jesus that is finished, and he did it for him. And I want you to know that Jesus came and died for you. For you. He came this Christmas season 2,000 years ago as a little baby for you to wash away your sins, forgive you, have a relationship with you. Listen, just like Mike's mom believed in him, she was a woman of faith. I want you to know that God believes in you. He has something for your life. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. And this is your moment. During this Christmas season, no matter what's going on in life, how good, how bad, to say, Jesus, I trust you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Wash away my sins. Make me new.